0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: We are in the book of Revelation today, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to look at verses uh, 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song with these words. Now they're gathered around the throne of God. And they sang a song and said, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, slain, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you, Jesus, have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign, two different verb tenses, one past, one future. They will reign on the earth. Father, would you uh, just anoint our time in your word today? Help us, Lord, not just to read it and hear it and understand it, but Lord, help us to do it, to put into practice what it is that you're trying to say to us today. And I pray that you'd call every one of us closer to yourself today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The word of God never ceases to amaze me. It's been, it's been uh, 30 years ago that I started in pastoral ministry, 47 years ago that I became a believer, and, and for all of my 52 years, I've been in church. But I still pick up this word, and I see things I've never seen before, and I learn things I've never learned before, and it just it just blows my mind. And so I wanna uh, I wanna share one of those things today. I got hung up on this uh, a month or two before Easter. This was actually going to be my Easter message. I told y'all I had stuff swirling. This is one of the I just couldn't let go of this thing because it just sort of captured me. So here I want it to capture you too. And then I want to uh, help you understand the way the Lord helped me understand. So uh, we all know Christ came, right? We know he came to earth. His first coming is the one we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, laid in a manger, fled to Egypt, settled in Nazareth, and then started his ministry at the age of 30, all right? And then there is the coming of Christ that we anticipate in the future, the one we call the second coming of Christ, not the rapture, that's different things, but the second coming of Christ is when Jesus is going to return to the earth after the tribulation period and begin his millennial reign. But but the question that started to capture me is, is why did he come and why is he coming back? And those questions are, are answered in the passage that we just read. As a matter of fact, both of those questions are answered in the same passage. The first time Jesus came, it was to be the sacrifice for our sins. The next time he comes in the future, it will be to set up his earthly kingdom and we'll rule and reign with him forever. That's what that scripture said. So let me put it this way. The first time he came was to break the power of sin. The second time he comes will be to purge the earth of the curse of sin and restore things back to their original intention, which was a perfect world where we can live and enjoy unhindered fellowship with God forever. You say, well, John, I don't really know what you're confused about. Like, I don't know what you're hung up on. That's kind of Christianity 101, right? The comings of Christ. First coming, second coming, that's pretty easy. And I get that. I know that. But there was another coming There was another period of time that he was on the earth, in the flesh, and that's what's captured me. I want to know what that was like. I get all King James sometimes, like, "What meaneth this?" Like, (laughs) I, I, I don't know what this is. What? So, what has so? Here, let me let me let's walk together through this. Like, what happened when he died on the cross? So they took his body down. They put it in Joseph's tomb. He didn't buy it; he just rented it because he wasn't going to use it forever, right? He just he he put him in Joseph's tomb, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And his first mission, his first coming, was complete, right? Power of sin was broken; mission accomplished, right? Y'all still with me? Y'all been to church? All right. So, and, and then when he comes back. He's going to defeat the enemy once and for all, and it's all going to be glorious. So we understand the what and the why and the when for the first coming and the second coming, but what about the one in the middle? What about the 40 days he lived on this earth after the resurrection? What about that? Like, why did he hang out on the earth for so long? Because I'm telling you, y'all treat me the way we treated him on the earth I'm gone. Like after I did get the job done, I'm gone. He didn't. He came back. Why did he come back? That's what I need to know. Because I don't see any biblical or prophetic reason that he had to be here for those 40 days. But Jesus always had a reason for everything he did. So today I want us to, to track some of his movements and his activities for that 40 days. And, and I think what we're going to find is also the title of the message. And that's, he came back for us. Amen. He came back for us. Some of the things he did, like the Great Commission, like Valerie asked the, the, this, uh, this week, she never asked me what I'm preach, what i going to preach, but she asked me what I was going to preach. So I started telling her about it, and we started talking about what were the things he did while he was on the earth for those 40 days. And she talked about the Great Commission, we, and, and so we talked about that. But he, I, I think he could have done that at the Last Supper. Right? He could, we could have done that then. He could have told them to go into all the world and make disciples before he was ever crucified. And several times in those 40 days... He, he told them to wait on the Holy Spirit to empower them for the work of the kingdom. But again, he could have told them that before the crucifixion. Because the last night on earth in, in John 13 and 14 and 15, in that conversation, what appears to be on the way to the garden, he talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. So those things could have happened before he left. Why did he come back for those 40 days? There must have been some things that happened through the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection that could not have been addressed at any other time and at any other way. So we're going to look at three of the things. Did you see me? 3 We're going to look at three things <sighs> and a bonus. We're going to look at three things that, uh, that he did in those 40 days, and we're going to find out what that also means for us today. So we're going to start in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. It opens with Luke's account of the resurrection. Uh, The angels told the ladies early on resurrection morning, he's not here, he is risen, right? Hallelujah. We also know from other accounts that he appeared to Mary and she saw him for herself. Now, it makes sense to me that Jesus would have come out of the grave and would have appeared to somebody to say, hey, I'm here. I'm risen just like I told you I was going to, right? That makes sense that somebody needed to see that he was risen. But, but that was part of his first coming. Because, and we know that because he told Mary, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. Right? He had one more step he had to complete and it was done. He was going to ascend to the Father and his work on, his, on earth and his first coming was over. But, so, so he could have done that first. But Jesus comes out of the grave. He returns to the Father And then he comes back. He comes back. So let's find out why. Luke 24, and we're going to start in verse 13. The same day, the same day of his resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they talked, as they walked along the way, they were talking about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from uh, recognizing him. So Jesus starts walking with these guys like out of the blue. And he kind of casually asks them what they're talking about. Cause they're like, they're in it. And, and he's like, what are you talking about? And they tell him about the trial, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus from their limited and confused perspective. It, it turns out they probably had more questions than answers. And they had no idea really who they were talking about or who they were talking to. So that's when Jesus starts what seems to have been his purpose uh, f- to be there all along. In verse 25 and 26, this is, this is, what, uh, this is what happened. So uh, Luke 24, 25 and 26, Jesus said to them, you foolish people, again, Jesus didn't graduate from charm school. He just, got, you know, foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus starts, that was his intro, and then he starts, the Bible says he started going scripture by scripture by scripture, telling them of the prophecies, laying out all the scriptures so they could get all their questions answered. He was teaching them about himself. And then it says he disappeared, and these two guys hightail it back to Jerusalem, seven miles, and they tell the apostles... So while they're telling the apostles about it, and he found them in this room, and he's telling them about it, and while they're in the middle of telling them that they just saw Jesus, Jesus showed up. just appeared in the room with all of them. And and so they're all freaked out because they had the doors locked. They thought everything that they were hiding, and Jesus shows up. And so he was proving to them, I'm not a ghost. I'm 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 real. Come here, You can. See, here's my scars. You can see the scars on my hands, my feet, my side. They still weren't getting it. He said, just give me, what were you, were you eating? Yes, you are always eating. Give me a piece of fish. Ghosts don't eat. That's what Jesus said. Ghosts don't eat. Let me have a piece of fish. I want to prove to you I'm here. I came back. I came back for a reason. And then he got down to business again. Luke 24, verses 44 through 48. He said, when I was with you before, I told you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here's the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. So, so here's, the, here's the first point. Jesus came back for us because he wants us to know him. He came back for us because he wants us to know him. Jesus had spent three and a half years teaching and preaching, telling, trying to tell them who he was and trying to help them understand what he was doing here. And there were flashes of revelation through the Gospels. Uh, they sort of understood some things sometimes, but for the most part, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Everyone in Israel at that time knew of Jesus, but uh, of all the people who lived on the earth, these guys knew him. They lived with him. They 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 went uh, walked and talked with him. They traveled with him. They 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 slept in the wilderness with him on the roads. They they pretty much every message he preached, they heard. They got the chance to ask questions as they sat around the fire at night about the parts they didn't understand. Or if it, or sometimes Jesus just told them because he knew they didn't get it. So of all the people on the earth, the people in that room that Jesus is talking to knew him better than anybody. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with where they were in their knowledge of him. He, he didn't want them to have to try to figure out figure it out for themselves. So... He came back. He could have stayed in heaven and just went on and just went about his business, but he didn't. He came back because he wanted them to truly know him, not just partially, but completely. Somebody way smarter than me once said that life has to be lived forward, but it really can only be understood backwards. Right? You don't really get it until you've done it, until you've been there and done that, and you turn around and go, Ah, that's what that was about. Jesus knew that. So, so now that his work had been done, past tense, his followers could see it and understand it. So the things that had been fuzzy were now clear. He truly was the Messiah that had been prophesied and that they had hoped for. He really was the Son of God. So what's So what's the big deal about knowing Jesus? Why is that? So why would He come back just for that? Because Christianity can be summed up in two words: knowing Jesus. Amen. Knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're lost. That's the bottom line. It, I didn't say if you, don't, if you haven't memorized Scripture. I didn't say if you haven't come to church. I didn't say if you haven't given in the offering. None of those things amount to a hill of beans if you don't know Jesus. As a matter of fact, think about all the other religions in the world and what their focus is and what it is that they, that they claim to lead you to. What, what do they tell you? They tell you that, that they'll uh, help you find truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Right? They say they're going to help you find the way to the divine. Jesus said, I am the way, and you can't get to the divine unless you come through me. Uh, Other religions say they're going to help you find life. Jesus said, I am the life. They say they can help you find peace. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you peace that the world can't even touch. The beauty and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus is that if you know him, you know everything you need to know. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Look at how the Apostle Paul put it in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Garbage is actually the most polite of the words that the original language could be interpreted as so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For making God's way, uh, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. In the previous verses, if you read from verse 1 in chapter 3, Paul, has, he described his previous life, and he sort of gave his religious resume which was pretty stinking impressive. Paul said, I used to be somebody important. I used to be somebody impressive. I was ambitious. I was driven. I was committed. I was passionate. But now all I want to do is know Jesus. All the other stuff, Paul said, which he had built his life on, all the other stuff is just garbage. Knowing Jesus is of infinite value, he said. So listen... I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. Whatever's in your past might be impressive or it might be humiliating. It might cause you to sort of strut your stuff or it might cause you to hang your head. Paul said, either way, just let it all go because it's worthless. The good stuff won't help you. The bad stuff won't stop you. Right? Just surrender yourself to Jesus. Get to know him because knowing him is everything. Everything. It's so important that Jesus came back for it. He wants you to know him. Here's the second reason he came back. We're going to go to John 20 now. So for you Bible flippers, you all get to flipping. John 20, all right? It describes the appearance, uh, another appearance of Jesus that we just read about in Luke. Um, But it it, it includes one important detail that Luke did not include. And so I want to show you this, John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. Uh, One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. He wasn't there. He might have been there at the beginning, but by the time Jesus showed up, Thomas was gone. They probably the other guys got on his nerves is what it is. They're like, y'all are on my nerves. I got to get out of here. So he was gone. They told him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see the Lord. He heard the excited reports of the others, but Thomas had been through too much. You know, at some point, it's just too much. Y'all ever been just... It's just too much. It's just too much. The events of the crucifixion had shaken him to the core. He had thought he knew Jesus and understood the plan. Like he thought there was a plan and he was a part of the plan. But seeing Jesus suffer and die on the cross and and be buried. And even even this resurrection was just... It had just done something to his soul and... He was just, he, he just undone. He just didn't know. He didn't know. And he was, he was not going to be encouraged by some second-hand tale of resurrection. He was just, he had to see it for himself. If he was going to believe again, if he was going to trust again, he was going to have to experience Jesus for himself. Let's read what the Scriptures say next. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Uh, Jesus, and then Jesus looked at Thomas, and I, will you, can you uh, do, I, don't, I can't see who's back there. Can you do t- verse 27, please? John 20 and 27. You need to see uh, what Jesus said next, because he was like, Hey, everybody, good to see you again. Saw you eight days ago. And then he got on to, uh, to the next thing, John 20 and 27. Then G- uh-oh, John 20, 27. Luke is a great book, too. Um, y'all should read that. Hey, this, that stuff back there is not as easy as it looks. Then, then he said to Thomas, he said to Thomas, Jesus did, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. Yes. He wasn't talking to anybody else. He would already talk to those guys. He said, Thomas, nobody else, Thomas, he said, find out for yourself that it's true. Don't be faithless anymore. Don't doubt anymore. You said you needed proof. There's your proof. Come get your proof. Come get all your questions answered. Come do everything you need to do to know I'm here. And I I am who I said I am. And I did what I said I was going to do. Right? So Jesus came back not just because he wants us to know him, but because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. I've, I've heard it called the dark night of the soul. I've heard it called a crisis of faith. I've heard it called falling away or backsliding. Uh, The new term, you all probably heard this floating around now, is deconstruction. It's where people are questioning everything. Questioning everything they ever believed and they're trying to find their spiritual footing. Listen, no matter what you want to call it, I'm not sure you can walk with Jesus long term and not, have some sort of, not come to some sort of place in your life where you can relate to Thomas. Right? There, there, you're going to have a Thomas moment at some point in your life, and it might take more than just a second. There, there's going to be a point in your spiritual life when you're discouraged and you're disillusioned that nothing makes sense anymore, things you thought you had figured out. You clearly did not have it figured out. The the things things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to turn out, and you just you don't know which end is up. Listen to me. Jesus wants you to trust him again. When he said he would never leave you, he was not kidding. He meant it. Jesus was not mad at Thomas. He came back. He made a special trip just to find him and to talk to him. He wanted Thomas' faith to be renewed. He wanted to restore the trust in the relationship, and he wants to do the same for you. When I went through this kind of experience more than a decade ago, Jesus didn't give up on me. I was very seriously considering giving up on him, but he never once considered giving up on me. I couldn't tell it at the time, Because there was just too much going on. But through the whole dark episode in the story of my life, he was standing right beside me the whole time. He was protecting me because I was in one of those places that if one more thing had happened, I was done. And he was protecting me from one more thing. One more thing. He came to my rescue. He didn't come to condemn me. He didn't come to beat me up. He didn't come to to accuse me. He came to rescue me. He heard my complaints. He heard my accusations. And He didn't get offended at me. He came to restore my trust, whatever that looks like, however long it was going to take. He came to do that for me because He loves me. And He loves you. He don't love me anymore and He loves you. And he didn't love Thomas any more than he loves any one of us. I don't know where you might be in your relationship with the Lord. You might be teetering on the brink of spiritual collapse. You might be thinking about walking away. You might be questioning everything you've ever known and ever believed. Just scoop it all up and bring it to Jesus. Just bring it with you. You know, I'm going to tell on myself, a lot of times when I open service, I say, just set aside all the hindrances and the distractions, and for the next few minutes, let's just get in the presence of Jesus. Robbie opened service, Pastor Robbie opened service one time a couple years ago. He said, don't set aside the hindrances and the distractions. He said, bring them with you to Jesus and leave them there. And I thought, I like his way of doing it better than my way of doing it right? Sometimes, sometimes we think we have to hide the mess from Jesus when he already knows where it is and what it is and why it is. We just need to scoop it all up and dump it out at him and say, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I need help. So bring all the questions, bring all the anger, bring the confusion, bring the disappointment, bring the false doctrines, bring the bad teaching, bring the sinful leaders that you've experienced in your life, bring all the stuff that has you in this place you're in and just start talking to him about it. Scream at him if you have to. You are not going to intimidate God. Let him hear it. Let him have it. Tell him about all of it. Say it out loud if you have to. Let, then let him walk with you through all of that stuff, through whatever it's going to take, to get you back to the place where you can trust him again. You say, John, I don't even want to think about trusting him again because that just terrifies me. Yes, you're going to be scared. Yes, you're going to have to take a chance. But that's why it's called faith. Amen. Faith is inherently risky. If it's a sure thing, it ain't faith. But you're going to find, like I found, that he can still be trusted. He can still be trusted. Now, I didn't say you're going to get all the answers to all the questions that you've ever asked. Because I've still got a few things we need to talk about. There's a reason why he doesn't give you every answer to every question. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can't handle everything. And so he's going to give you everything that you can handle. He's going to save you from everything you can't because he's a good father. There are things that I handle that my kids don't know anything about. Right? They don't know nothing about bills. Right? They just turn on the power switch and the light comes on. Hey, magic. I guess everybody gets power. No, they don't. Skip a month. See how dark it gets. Right? I I just take the bullets from my kids because that's what fathers do. He does the same thing for us. And there are some things. I could explain some things to my kids about what it's like to to adult in 2022. They're not going to get it. So why even bother? Right? Our father does the same for us. Just trust that if he's not telling you, you can't handle it. Here's the last reason Jesus came back. It's in the same chapter in uh, well the next chapter, John 21, John 21 verses 15 through 17. After breakfast Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, "Do you love me more than these?" "Yes, Lord," Peter replied, "you know I love you." And then Jesus said, "Then feed my lambs." Jesus repeated the question. So that was a little weird in front of everybody a little awkward. Then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know, I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time. Now it went from awkward to just weird. Third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the same question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is one of the most powerful passages in the word. And the verses before this, in, in the in the first in the previous 14 verses, set up this incredible scene. John was just so wise. This is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And John was so wise, so led by the Spirit to include this in the close of his Gospel. It's like this little microcosm of the ministry of Jesus. This is like Jesus in a nutshell. Peter and some other disciples decided to go fishing. Because some of you guys understand this. Like when nothing else works, just go fishing. Isn't that right? Can I get an amen from a fisherman? Y'all ain't, none of y'all ever been fishing? All right, never mind. So they went fishing. Jesus decided to show up while they were out on the water. And he called out to them and said, hey, y'all caught anything? They had not. They didn't really want to talk about that because, you know, they're fishermen. But they said, no, we really hadn't caught anything. And he said, well, why don't you throw the net on the other side and you'll catch some? Does that sound familiar? Um, and boy, did they catch some. So Jesus was basically reenacting the first time he had met these guys, especially met Peter. And so Peter realized it was Jesus. John said, uh, dude, that's the Lord. So Peter jumped from the boat, swam to shore. And he got there and he, he was greeted by breakfast over a charcoal fire that Jesus had made. And, the, and, and John was very specific to say it was a charcoal fire. Do you know the last time that the, the name Peter and charcoal fire was mentioned in the scripture? As a matter of fact, the only time it was mentioned in the Scripture that I'm aware of was two chapters before in chapter 18 of John when um, Peter and the other people standing around outside the trial of Jesus were warming themselves by a charcoal fire. It was there that Peter denied Christ three times. So after breakfast, Jesus looked at Peter and he asked him three times, Do you love me? Once for each of his denials. And each time Jesus told Peter to feed the lambs, reminding Peter of his calling to preach and to lead the church. Jesus came back to earth after his resurrection, if for no other reason than to have this encounter with Peter. Because Peter had been crushed by his own wicked heart. You know, it's it's disappointing you disappoint yourself sometimes when you think you're stronger than you actually are. And when your own heart deceives you into thinking you're stronger and you clearly don't measure up. It's 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 more than dis- disappointing. It's soul crushing. Peter didn't Peter wasn't even sure he was still a disciple of Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he told Mary, he said, go back and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. But Jesus came back to walk Peter through forgiveness and restoration so they could move forward in their relationship together. He wants us to know him for sure. He wants us to trust him. But he showed us through his conversation with Peter he wants us to understand grace. He wants us, to, and there's a lot. You, you could have filled in that blank with a lot of different things from this whole episode with Peter, but he wants us to understand grace. The disciples had never lived in the kingdom of grace. They understood Old Testament law, they understood an eye for an eye, they understood, uh, they understood all of the, they understood harsh Roman rule. They understand you look sideways at a Roman centurion and you're going to wind up uh, dead. They got that. that. What they didn't get is grace. Peter had very publicly broken his vow, broken his commitment to Jesus. Just like a couple of hours ago, he had said, Jesus, if I have to die for you, I'll die for you. And then three times he's like, I don't even know him. Peter was proud and arrogant and stubborn and unteachable. And at that moment, the most important moment of his life, he fell flat on his face, denying that the very person that he had recognized and proclaimed to be the Son of the Living God. By all rights, Jesus could have cut him off and replaced him among the disciples. But Jesus showed up, Jesus came back to remind Peter. That this was a brand new day. His death, his resurrection had ushered all of us into this age of grace. This is an age of reconciliation. This is an age of forgiveness. This is an age of relationship. It's an age of healing. It's, Peter had royally messed up. But because he repented and confessed his renewed love for Jesus, he was forgiven and restored. It was put back as if it had never happened. Listen, there is no way that you're going to go through this life as a follower of Jesus without coming to a point where you realize you have royally messed up. It's inevitable because you're human. And if you think you have made it without royally messing up, then you are eat up with religion and pride. You just haven't seen it yet. But everybody else around you already knows. If humans could always make the right decisions, then Jesus would never have had to come in the first place. You will mess up. And when you do, your old nature is going to try to convince you that God is now done with you. And that you should just turn and walk away. That no matter how much you repent, you're never going to deserve to be forgiven. But you're listening to the wrong voice. You're listening to the wrong voice. You have to hear what grace has to say about the issue. You have to hear the voice of Jesus calling you back. Giving you the chance to repent. Giving you the chance to be restored. Listen, this is not the day of judgment. This is the age of grace. There will be a day when every one of us will stand before God and we will give an account for everything that we've done while in these bodies. But this is not the day of judgment. This is the age of grace. This is the moment of salvation. This is a moment of repentance. When we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the day that he reminds us that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance and that when you repent, you have not been disqualified from the kingdom of God. You've not been disqualified from being useful to bring him honor and glory. You're not gonna be set on a shelf. You're not gonna become a cautionary tale that he points at and says, don't be that guy. He's gonna be the one who's standing there with arms open why. It's saying, do you love me? Because if you do, I still love you. Just come home. Just come home. That's what he's inviting you to today. That's the God that we serve today. Stop beating yourself up. Don't stay out on the boat far from shore, avoiding the issue. Like, I'm sure there had to be a moment where Peter went, You mean that's Jesus? I'm gone. And just like turn and go as far and as fast as he could. Don't do that. Jump in the water and swim to the Savior. You get right up by the fire that he's prepared for you and you eat what he made for you. You, you. you consume the nourishment. You stand in his presence and just be loved by him. You, you repent for your sins and accept that he loves you and that he still has a plan for you. He's not calling you to shame and condemnation. That's the devil. He's calling you to repentance so that you can be restored and healed and forgiven and set free and empowered. Peter went on from that moment on the shore of the the Sea of Galilee. He went on to be the cornerstone of the New Testament church. Within just a few days, he was the spokesperson for all the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Preached the first message empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he was the first one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Yes, he messed up. But he learned about grace that day on the seashore. He followed the same path to repentance. And you can do that today as well. Listen, Jesus wasn't just restoring Peter that day. He wasn't just restoring him through grace. He was demonstrating for us how to be a person of grace in this world of judgment and condemnation. You can't do anything without 150,000 people commenting about what you should have done how stupid you are and how morally depraved you are and how all all the things it's ridiculous and Christians people who call themselves Christians are right in the middle of it pointing accusing fingers at people for doing the same stinking thing that they did like yesterday Jesus is offering us forgiveness and redemption and restoration if you were truly repentant I, I'm not talking about, and we have to do the same thing. When people repent, when people oh, truly want to make it right, then, then that's the obligation of the gospel to freely give what we freely received. I'm not talking about putting yourself back in a dangerous situation or an unsafe situation where with people who can't be trusted. So, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I mean, there will be times when people who hurt us are later truly sorry. And they will come back to us and repent for what they did. Then it is incumbent upon us as believers to offer to them what was offered to us and to truly forgive and be reconciled to those people by extending grace. It is a picture of the gospel on this earth. Listen, Jesus couldn't bring himself to leave this earth. Until he taught us these valuable lessons. He wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. And we have to understand grace. He could have gone straight back to the splendor of heaven. But he stayed on this earth a little longer. He came back for us. So the question for us today is, what are we going to do with the lessons that he came back to teach us? What are we going to do? Why don't you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray, and, and the team's going to sing one more song. This altar is open, as you've already seen. This altar is always open. You can come, come to the Lord with whatever needs and burdens and problems you have, whenever, you, whenever the Lord draws you. We get done. Some we got a couple that are going to join the church, uh, but, but before we do any of that, we're going to pray. I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing some people. I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing some people who thought they had messed up so bad that there was no hope for them. There is hope. There is hope. There is grace. There are people that I believe the Lord is drawing to just to come and sit in his presence, just so they know he's still there and he's waiting on them. He can be trusted again. He can. Even though you still got questions, you still got all this emotion, you still got all this anger, you still got all this stuff, he's still here and he can still be trusted. And then I think there's some of you that need to know him like, really know him. Not just know about him, but get to know him because he is the answer for every question. He is everything that you need. Lord, I pray right now for for myself and for this congregation. Lord, that we would, that we would uh, learn the lessons that you came back to teach us. Lord, I pray that you draw people to this altar. Lord, people that I know that when you draw them, you're going to meet them here. Lord, people that, that need to experience your grace, that, that, that need to get rid of the shame and the condemnation and just receive the love that you have for them. Lord, people who need to come and to, and to allow you to begin to restore their trust in you. And Lord, people who need to know you today, and I pray if there's a single individual here who doesn't know you, that they'll come today and they'll get to know you, and that they'll surrender their lives to you today once and for all. Lord, for every other need, for every other issue, every other problem that people may come to pray about, I I just pray that you would meet them here with your grace and your mercy and your
0: love.